like to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and go to Colossians chapter 4, please. Colossians chapter 4. I'd like to take, uh, Lord willing, tonight and next Sunday night and, and uh, look at two parts of what I think ought to be uh, really central to our own personal lives, but also our congregational life and, and, uh, and look at it from a standpoint of uh, trying to, trying to uh, push it into action, right? So that's prayer and the word, uh, that we, that, that the life of a believer, uh, the very nature of a life of a believer is a life of prayer. Without prayer, um, there's no Christian because the very first act of the new birth is calling on the name of the Lord. And the first evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit is him producing the cry, Abba, Father. So a prayerless Christian uh, is ultimately an oxymoron. It's, it's just not, it's not possible to be fully and completely prayerless. Yet it is an area in which uh, we must grow, and it's possible that we might decline. Right? We 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 actually might cool off and uh, recede in our commitment and practice of prayer. And at times, uh, the uh, the reality of that personally can. Uh, can actually spread within a congregation so that believers are not praying with each other or praying for each other as we ought. And as I've said before, I think we have a, uh, we all can have a tendency to think that prayer, uh, prayer is like a, an add on to our efforts rather than actually a part of the effort, right? That we, we do a bunch of stuff and then we pray that it'll be effective. Not necessarily thinking that prayer is an effective means to do stuff, if I could put it sort of crassly, right? The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much, James says. So, so what we need to do is fight against the tendency to think that praying is somehow a deficient or less than full pursuit of some goal. Now, in no way would I say we should excuse ourselves from responsible action because we're saying we're praying, right? Well, I mean, you know, that, that person needs to hear about Christ, so I, well, I, I prayed for them. Right, it needs to be a combo. That person needs to, you know, needs some uh, word of truth spoken to them. We shouldn't put praying and that against each other at all. Uh, but we do need to, I think, we need to regularly have sort of elevated in our minds that that praying actually is doing something. It is an effective means to accomplish God's purposes. And I'm choosing to uh, both illustrate and teach that from a passage that uh, is, I think, uh, 
uh, right, right in that lane. Okay, look at Colossians chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Okay, so let me just stop right there. Clearly, if he's sending his greetings, he's not there with them. Right? So, I mean, that's might be from like the, the department of obvious statements, but the point is that Epaphras is distant from them. And yet is the text is going to be clear that he's doing something for them. Right? He doesn't have to be present with them to be a part of God's instrument to see growth and grace in their lives. All right, so let's pick it up. Send you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. And let me just uh, make a quick comment about verse 13, because unless you have New, New American Standard Bible, it probably says something like, he works hard for you. Anybody have a translation like that? All right. Um, so the, the issue there, and I'll come back to it, but the words that are translated deep concern have that, it can have both of those kinds of nuances to it, right? So it's it's something that is a heavy burden you're carrying, a deep concern, right? Or obviously, if you're carrying a heavy, heavy burden, it could mean you're having to work hard at it. So that's that's why the translations diverge there. The part that shouldn't be missed is that this is some either deep concern, heavy burden, hard labor in prayer for them, even though he's not present with them. All right, so so that's that's the, the illustration part. Epaphras thinks rightly, because Paul's endorsing it, Epaphras thinks rightly that he can do spiritual good for people who are far away from him physically, right? Far enough that he has to send greetings via this letter. And yet he believes that he can do spiritual good for them by prayer, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying it sort of slowly and trying to press it in because I do believe that we wrestle with that. Right? We tend to think, well, I can't really help them, so I'm going to pray. And, and the very minute we think that way, we're, we're actually potentially undercutting the kind of prayer that Epaphras does. Right? Because he believes it is really effective, it can be described like it's described in verse 12, laboring earnestly for you. It's uh, from the same uh, basic word family that Paul uses in Romans 15 when he asks the Romans to strive together with him in prayer, right? Strive 
together, earnestly, agonizingly pray with me about this. All right, so if, if Epaphras didn't think that his prayers did anything, why in the world would he be laboring earnestly in it? Right, you don't pour your agonizing earnestness into prayer if you think it doesn't do anything. If all it's doing is, is well, it's sort of, it's going to help me handle life better, but it's not really going to do anything for them. No, Epaphras genuinely believed that his pouring out his soul in prayer for these believers at Colossae would be a means that God uses to effect spiritual good in their lives. And so it was not, it was not uh, an approach to his, his ministry to them. And, and, and it was his ministry to them. Go back to chapter one very quickly, if you would. And you can see a little bit of why Epaphras would be concerned for them. Uh, I mean, it's a long sentence, so I'm not going to go all the way back up to the beginning of the sentence, right? But pick it up in verse 6. Last two words of verse 5, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Now notice verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. So, so Paul knows that Epaphras was the human conduit through which the believers at Colossae heard the gospel. Paul had never been there. He says that in chapter two. I've never, you've never seen my face. I've not been there. But, but Epaphras, who's one of your number, chapter four, took the gospel to you so that you learned it from him. You had become believers through the ministry of Epaphras. Now, Epaphras had taken the gospel to them. They had come to trust in Christ. We don't know how long he was there. Clearly long enough for a congregation to be established. And Epaphras returns to Paul, because look at verse 8 of chapter 1. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So, so Epaphras left Paul, went to Colossae, had this fruitful ministry with them. The gospel produced life and, and a congregation. And then Epaphras returns to Paul. And when Epaphras is with Paul, he hears about the false teachers that are troubling the church at Colossae. Right, they're trying to woo the, the, the Colossians away from the simplicity that's in Christ and they're, they're attacking the foundations of the gospel. And so Epaphras hears this and he can't be with them. He's with Paul. So in this sense, he has no other recourse, but it's not an insignificant one. It's actually a very significant one. He can go to the God of heaven and seek from him what is needed at Colossae. And because he believes that that is effective, he does it 
earnestly. He labors earnestly about it. He carries it like a heavy burden. He, he, he carries it like it's a, a, a deep and difficult task to pour out his soul for these believers at Colossae. Right? That's, so he models for us the kind of mindset that says, I can be used by God for spiritual good in the lives of other people through intercessory prayer. I can actually be an, an instrument of God to secure for people the good that needs to happen in their lives by seeking it from the God of heaven. And if I believe that, then I will labor earnestly in that task. It will be a burden that I will pour my heart into. So if you would go back to chapter 4, because this, this means that discipleship, right, the process of, of mutual ministry and, and helping people grow in Christ, uh, an element of that is our prayer for them, right? We're praying for them that they will be responsive to the truth and grow in grace, protected from error, that they will, that they will, uh, as they have received, I use language of Colossians 2, as they have received Christ Jesus as Lord, that they will walk in him. Right? So we, we pray uh, to, to that end. So the two things that I would say about his prayer when we look at it is that it's clearly it's fervent. I've been, I've been trying to press that home in the words laboring earnestly for you in deep concern. So his fervency is rooted in his concern and relationship to them, right? They mattered to him, so that showed up in his praying, right? He, he, he took seriously the spiritual condition of these people, and so it had a profound effect on his praying for them. If you don't care about the outcome of your prayer, it is virtually impossible to be fervent in it. I mean, if I if I see you after the service and I, you know, I really don't care if you do this for me or not, and I just sort of toss it out. Hey, you know, I'd really love a pizza to watch the game tonight. You know, I just throw it out there because if I get the pizza, I'm fine. You can tell from looking at me, I could I could probably make it a week and a half without any pizza. I'll be fine. Right, it's not like a real burden for me. It's not really a big request for me. It's just sort of like I just toss it out there. Right, that's not a fervent appeal. Right, but if but if you had something that I desperately desired to see happen, my request would reflect that. Right, the sense and awareness of my need, my concern for the outcome would produce a kind of fervency in the praying. It is not, it is not spiritual health to be unmoved by serious things. Right, it's, and I, I clearly, uh, absolutely firmly believe 
that I come to God always with a submissive heart, but that does not mean it's a passionless heart. It does not mean it's a cool and indifferent heart. It is that I'm crying out to God for the thing that I believe would be the most glorifying to him and of absolute necessity in this particular circumstance from as far as I can see it, but I know he can see it better than me. So, so I'm going to cry out with the confidence that God will do what's right because we can always run to Jesus, right? Jesus, strong and kind. So, so, so I have to run to him though. I just don't, I don't go, well, he's strong and kind. He'll do whatever he wants. Because that's not the heart that God wants in us. We are not supposed to treat God like he's some indifferent deity who wound up the clock and has just let it run. He's given us the privilege to seek him about the things which we need, the things we desire, and we should feel those deeply enough to pray like we are laboring, agonizing, earnestly pursuing them. And so he wants us to strive together in it. There's a quote by Spurgeon that I probably read to us every like four years or so, just because I think it captures so much. Uh, Spurgeon had a concern about the kind of praying which he thought characterizes too often God's people. Here's what he said. A great many people play at praying. It is nothing better. I say they play at praying. They do not expect God to give them an answer, and thus they are mere triflers who mock the Lord. He who prays in a businesslike way, meaning what he says, honors the Lord. The Lord did not play at promising. Jesus did not sport at confirming the word by his blood. And we must not make a jest of prayer by going about it in, as a, listless, in a listless and unexpecting spirit. And, and I think, I think it, can, it can be like that for us at times, right? We, we got stuff to do. We got things going. And maybe we've prayed about this before and we've said something. And we can start to think, well, you know, God knows. So he'll do what he wants to do. And, and I don't believe that that honors the Lord. I don't believe it honors the Lord because it doesn't take his word seriously. It doesn't actually uh, embrace what the scriptures tell us about the essential nature of prayer and its effectiveness in, in the work of Jesus Christ. So it needs to be fervent in that regard. And, and intercessory prayer, like Epaphras is doing here, is believers striving in prayer to God on behalf of others for the fulfillment of his promises and the display of his power. Right? I'm seeing the need that somebody else has and I'm striving together with them in prayer to see God do that, right? And that means we have to have a heart for others and heart for larger for the work of God 
And, and so Paul, Paul is going back to Jerusalem and he wants his ministry to be acceptable to saints. He wants to be protected from people that would attack him. And that seems to be weighing heavy on his heart. And I don't know how it couldn't, right? Because everywhere he went, he had the Judaizers barking at his heels and he had people threatening his life. And now he's going to go back to the, the very center, potentially that storm. And he knows he's been lied about and misrepresented. And so that's weighing heavy on him and it's a burden. So he writes to these believers he's never even met at Rome and says, would you come alongside and, and strive with me in prayer about this? Would you catch a little bit of the burden that I have about this and put your shoulder under that weight with me? And that's exactly what Epaphras is doing for the Colossians. He knows that that church is in a spiritual death match, right? If people can undercut the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is going to destroy that church and it's going to have enormous damage on the souls of people. And so Epaphras sees the seriousness of that and he struggles and labors in prayer for believers that he cared about and the work of Christ, which he had invested his life in. So we need to do that. And, and what I'm trying to do is encourage us to be thinking that way about how we pray with and for one another. Right? There's everybody in this room is carrying some kind of burden. Everyone in this room is facing spiritual warfare. There are problems all around us that we might not be able to see the depth of those problems, but are in our potential blindness to the depth and seriousness of those problems is a part of what I'm trying to get us to see. Right? We, we need to labor earnestly for one another in prayer. That means we have to prepare our hearts and minds for it. We have to, we have to really literally take our heart and place it at, at the, at the, the juncture of, of the need and the supply. Right? I mean, the time of need and the throne of grace. And we're going to step into that for somebody, right? They're facing a time of need and God's promised grace for that appropriate time. And, and he's given us a place to go get it. And so we want to go there for people and present our request and make our case, right? That we, we want to offer reasons for the request that we're making, because that's, I think, a part of, of uh, fervency. And I, I said this, I think I said it in the men's prayer meeting, so I'm, it's a problem of talking in a lot of different places at a lot of different times, okay? Um, but I, I took a little time in our men's prayer meetings during prayer week to talk about the, the pattern in Scripture of requests plus reasons. All right, so you, you look at Nehemiah, he gives the request and offers the reasons why. Or you look at Daniel 9, request with the reasons there. Hezekiah faces Sennacherib and he makes his request and lays out reasons. Hezekiah is told he's going to die and he makes his request and he lays out the reasons. 
right? There, there, there used to be um, a much more prevalent way of talking about believers that talked about pleading with God or making your case before God. That that you you are you are laying out the reasons why this request has validity, and that does have a good uh, refining a refining uh, work in our praying. Because if I can't come up with good reasons for this request, then maybe it's not really something I should be praying for. But when I think about the scriptures and I think about what God has promised and what God's doing and the needs that there, all of a sudden I begin to see the reasons why. And I'm talking to God about those reasons. And those are part of what fuel the fervency of our heart to do it. Because that fervency is increased by the focused nature of the praying. Look at, look at what he prays for in verse 12. Always, uh, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. And here comes the, the, the end to which he's praying, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And, and I've already sort of set the context for that. These are folks that are under spiritual attack by false teachers and, and there's, there's real threat to their health. And so he's actually, uh, and clearly, Paul is reporting this, right? So I'm, I'm going to assume Paul is being honest, right? Paul reports the praying of Epaphras in line with things that Paul has already talked about, right? So he, Paul has said in chapter one that he labors earnestly to see believers be made perfect in Christ, Right to come to spiritual maturity, Paul Paul says that's what he labors and strives toward. At the end of Colossians chapter one, so Paul is doing it, and he says it in Colossians one by warning everyone, admonishing and teaching every man in Christ, so that you'll be perfect. We can present everyone perfect in Christ. So here's here's where I'm saying the two things from tonight and next week. Right, Paul's seeking the same goal through the use of teaching that we may present you perfect. Epaphras is doing it through prayer. I want to see them made perfect or complete or mature in Christ. So he's praying to that end, right? which, which he's talking about the whole church, uh, so he's talking about it in broad terms, but I think, uh, I think this would be sanctified imagination, I hope, that if I were to talk to Epaphras and I mentioned some specific saint at Colossae who has some specific struggle, his prayer would be more sharply tuned at what needed to be perfected or completed in them. Right? He's talking about the whole church, but if he's aware of this gap in their spiritual growth, then he'd be praying specifically for God to fill that gap, to perfect and complete them. So you and I will have, I think, a greater commitment to praying when we're actually praying like that 
Where's the gap that needs to be filled? And I'm asking God to fill that gap so that they'll be mature, they'll be complete, right? Something more than just like a, you know, a, a general statement of spiritual health. We actually are seeing the specific spiritual need and praying about that. That fully assured in all the will of God, I think, has echoes of chapter 1, where Paul was praying for them, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding. Right? That they would actually come, I think, in that text, not, not to be able to decide, like, you know, so do I do A or do I do B kind of will, but the outworking of God's will and purposes for his people that will understand and align ourselves and live with that, right? So that we'll walk, because it says knowledge of his will, so that we'll walk worthy of God in a manner that's pleasing to him. So, so here's Epaphras, and he's looking in his mind's eye toward his brothers and sisters in Colossae, and his prayer is labor. It's toil. It's hard work for them by asking God specifically in a focused way to accomplish these things, right? So he's asking for specific work of God in the life of these believers. And he's pouring out his heart in that way. And I think that we need to consider following his example. Are we praying for the spiritual growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that necessitates some defense from error or temptation or whether it's some step forward of obedience? Are we pouring out our energy in prayer for them? Or is it become just sort of like a, a passing reference? Right? I mean, remember so-and-so, be with so-and-so. Which is better than nothing. But, but it's, it's almost as if we, it, it's, it's the prayer equivalent of marking the box on your Bible reading checklist when you actually haven't thought about the passage you read at all. Right. You just, you know, your eye just scanned the page and you got done with it. So you can check the box, but you've not actually thought about what you read and responded to what God said. It's possible for us to pray that way too. Right. That we're not really engaged at the, at the heart level, when I say heart, I don't mean emotional, I mean like the inner being, right? We're, we're really doing it uh, in spirit and in truth that we're seeking God through the worship of prayer. So let me, let me just challenge you something. Four years ago, I took a, li- it was really, actually, I listened to it again because I want to make sure I wasn't going to just be too redundant on it. And you know what happened that night was the same thing that happened, or that morning, same thing happened right now, right? I got to the end of the message and I went <laughs> real fast. So, so I'm going to 
I'm gonna, I want to work us through it to think about it because I do think it's a practical way to help us that we can deepen our commitment to intercessory prayer. And I want to start on the side of the person who needs prayer. All right. And I want to encourage us to start thinking like this, that, that if we have something that we need someone to pray, we want someone to pray for us with, that we'll share that prayer request, so to speak, in two parts, right? The circumstances and our concern, right? So life circumstance and heart concern, right? So, so, and I'm just, I'm just going to illustrate. Let's say, let's say you, you're going through some health issues, right? That's the life circumstance. And it's obviously something worth being prayed for. But in all reality, if you're going through some health issue, it's probably also kicking off some heart concerns for you. So I'm really wrestling with fear or I'm, I'm really anxious because I don't know what the consequences of this are going to be or I'm really battling uh, with, with joy in the midst of this trial. Right. So, so it would require us to open up a little bit because it's easy to say, Hey, would you pray for me? I've got a doctor's appointment. That's a lot easier than going, listen, I'm, I've got some health issues going on and I'd really love you to pray for me. And I also, when you do, here's a part of what's wrestling in my heart. Right. So would you pray that I not be captured by fear? Would you pray that I not be anxious? Would you pray that uh, I, I, I saw someone in our church talking about this, that they were going through in something and one of the prayer heart concerns they shared, right? They said the circumstances, but then they said, you know, uh, would you pray that it will open up an opportunity as well for me to witness for Christ? Right, so here's, here's a part of when, when we're over here, and we're asking someone to pray for us, we can, I think, help draw them into the seriousness of it by sharing the seriousness of it, right? That we're trying to, and we're actually helping them pray because we're helping them see, hopefully, we've, the things, I mean, and again, I'm, 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 I'm trying to illustrate, so I'm not going as deep as I could, but but obviously, if you're wrestling with fear, right, there's probably some scripture that's causing that heart concern in you, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to be captured by fear because I know God says I, I don't have to fear. So please pray that God will help me to rest in his protection and care, right? So what you're doing is actually helping the, the person that you're asking to pray to sort of feel the weight and seriousness of this so that their heart starts to carry that burden, right? Starts to feel that because in feeling that will come the fervency, right? That's, they'll, they're, they're starting to feel the weight of it. And it's not, you know, and I think here's the tension for us is, I don't think in any way what I just said would be whining. You have a higher probability of whining if all you do is talk about the life circumstance. 
right? If your whole focus is on the circumstances, it's probably more likely to sound like you're just whining about the problems in your life. But when you've actually thought about this as not just a circumstantial thing, but but actually the spiritual realities that are at stake in this. I mean, who's going to look at you like you're just a big whiner when you're going, I need to trust God more. I need to cast my anxiety on him. I really want this to be used for good in my life. Right? That's, that's not whining. No one's thinking you're going, woe is me at that point. They think you're going, boy, this is, this is an important issue for them. And I want to come help lift that burden, right? So, so when we share prayer requests like that, then I think we can help each other when we're doing it, right? You've got a, you know, a difficult work situation or a family situation. So you, you could share that. I'm, I'm really, I mean, things at work are, are getting crazy. Life circumstance. Would you pray that I'll have wisdom so that I'll know how to make some very important decisions that are coming at me. And I want to make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. Or would you, would you pray to help me to respond in a godly way to some very ungodly things that are being done to me? Right? I want, I want to respond in a way that shows my commitment to Christ. Right? So now you just went from life circumstance to what's the heart concern. And you can draw in the help, right? What you're effectively doing is saying like, Paul, would you strive together in prayer with me for this? I mean, would, would you strive together with me in it? Because it's something that really matters to you. So, so when you're receiving prayer requests, right? And again, we've got to be, be careful with it because you, you can't, you know, you can't force the doors open, right? But, but you could be approaching it the same way, right? Someone, uh, someone's begin to share a prayer request. You could be asking them, how would you like me to pray? Right? Just sort of draw out from them. How would you like me to pray for you in this area? So, so they begin to share something about what's going on, right? And, and take the time to draw that out, both the circumstance and the concern. How can I pray for you about that? And I think it, it, this is important. Encourage all of us to make sure we follow through on that and perhaps even do it right then and there, right? If someone's just opened up their heart with some burden, then then it might be appropriate and it might be wise and right to say, hey, can I pray for you right now? Right? And, and I, I, I'm, I'm always encouraged when I see that happening because it would be, to me, utterly discouraging to think that Christians would be embarrassed about praying together when they're at church. Right? I mean, if I just, I'm being honest with you, is if we're uncomfortable Stopping to pray, something's not good with our church, right? Because that, that should like not at all be an unusual thing. So, so it ought to be, 
It ought to be the flow of life that if a person shares a burden and you feel burdened to pray for them at that point, it's just, I mean, now you don't have to go, and Lord God, you know, I'm not talking like that, right? But you can discreetly, lovingly pray for the person, lift them up before the Lord, let them know that you're going to follow through on it and and pray for them and and do what you need to do to remind yourself of that right so do do whatever's necessary to make sure you don't forget when you say i'm going to pray right so do do what well do what's biblically permissible to do all right I'll, that's sort of a given right and then follow up right follow up hey we prayed together about this issue how's that going or hey i've been praying for you How's it going? Right, because that that actually uh, is is a part of the. I mean, and I and I've talked about this before, but I just think it's really important to see if I could what Paul is doing here. Right, we don't we don't know what Epaphras may have said to Paul. You know, he might have said, "Paul, let them know I'm praying for them." But we don't know that. But Paul wanted them to know because Paul thought that that would be encouraging for them to know, right? I mean, Paul Paul actually many times in his letters shares exactly how he's praying for them because he wants them to know that. And, and, and again, I'd say we have to get past the uncomfortableness of sometimes feeling like we're, you know, well, we, yeah, we all just pray for them, but I mean, I don't, I'm not going to talk about what I'm saying, right? Because that's not a, that's not a biblical pattern. A biblical pattern would be we want to encourage people by not only telling them that we're praying, but knowing we're praying specifically about the things that they were burdened about or things that we're concerned for them about, right? So, so follow through on the praying and follow up on it. And don't be hesitant. I mean, if you're doing it, so if you're doing it because you want to make a name for yourself as a prayer, then, you know, don't do that. Okay, I mean, I just, that's, if that's your motivation, then I'm going to leave it to Jesus to deal with you about it. Okay, but I can't judge your heart. So I would be pretty evil to make that judgment about you. Well, that person's just doing it because, you know, they want to act like they pray a lot. Uh, hello? Can you see the heart of any person? Maybe you ought to stop the judging and start praying. Right, so is it true some people do? Yes, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that, but... You know, God will take care of that. It's not my job to, to be the motive ass- assessor of your heart, right? My job as a Christian is to pray like I really mean it and to pray for the people that I'm concerned about like I really mean it and to try and point them to Jesus like it's really important that they run to Jesus, strong and kind, right? So, so however that, 
comes out because we're all different personalities, right? I don't think we do this cookie cutter, but, but somewhere our heart has to be moving toward God's children. Because if we're born of God, we love God and we love his children. I mean, so, so if, if, if we're really in tune with God, we care about his children. And if we really care about his children, then we'll be wanting to see God's grace flow in their lives. And if we want to see God's grace flow in their lives, we know where that grace comes from. And so we'd be going to the throne for them, right? We'd, we'd be, we'd be running to go get some grace and see it deposited into someone's life. So, so don't, don't let any kind of intimidation about the spiritual nature of it cause you not to move toward believers to pray. Right? Because that's all it is. So, well, what would they think if I, you know, are they going to think I'm a holy person because I'm trying to talk about something important here? Or do they, are they going to think I'm just, you know, forget it. Just, just forget it. Forget, forget that and do, do the thing that Epaphras did here. Right? Got rhetorical question. So you don't have to raise your hand. But I can't imagine there's a person in this room who wouldn't love to have an Epaphras for your life. I mean, wouldn't you love to know that there is somebody laboring earnestly for you in prayer that you would be perfect and fully assured of all the will of God, that they have a deep concern, a heavy burden for you? I mean, who wouldn't want that? So here's the thing, be that, be that. Probably can't be for every person on the planet because you don't know every person on the planet. But who, who is that person? Who are those people that God has gripped your heart about that you're willing to labor for them in prayer? Who is it that your heart has been captured about the need for intercessory prayer? and pursue it with all your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us as, as your people with enormous privilege to come before you with confidence to seek the things that we need and to come before you to seek things for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, would you strengthen us this year? Uh, I, I thank you so much that there are so many good evidences of your grace. We have official prayer meetings, and those are great, and I hope they grow. But we have loads of unofficial ones, too. We have people who just get together with other people and pray. We have people whose hearts are being knit together before your throne. And, and so, thank you, Lord. But like most things, there's always room to grow. And so help us this year to grow. Help us not to be content uh, to 
to be indifferent about our praying. Help us not to be content uh, to, to pray shallowly and, and also uh, to, to be cool in our relationships with one another in the sharing and bearing of these burdens before your throne. We ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen.